Hello again, welcome to the Brattlecast. Stories about books, old, rare, and out of print. More than books, by the way, you'll understand why in a second. Uh, also about the people who buy, sell, appraise, and collect these amazing items. A first-hand look at second-hand books and more. Jordan Rich here, along with good friend Ken Gloss, the proprietor of the Brattle Bookshop. And uh, last time when we got together, we talked about a series of letters that were fascinating, written by a gentleman who was on the Alaska Gold Rush tour, and he ended up cooking for fellow rushers, and it was fascinating. Today, another uh, travel-related story, and it dates back to the 19-teens, 1917, about a Russian family leaving Russia. Well, the, it absolutely. Well, of course, there was a lot of upheaval in Russia around 1917. It was quite a revolting uh, situation. Yes, yes. and exactly. Um, and the revolution was coming. And of course, in many ways, Russia hasn't totally settled down, but has anything to settle mm-hmm. down. But this was a Jewish family. Uh, they started in, out in uh, Vilna, in Lithuania, but that was part of Russia at the time. Uh, they were relatively well off. So that can explain a little of it. But we got a call recently. Uh, a man came into the store from the Midwest. He was visiting Boston. And one of my assistants got talking with him. And he said, you know, we have this family items, this diary, but nobody in the family is that really that interested. And we really don't know what to do with it. But it should be preserved somewhere. It should get to someone either who really appreciates it or gets to some institution or library where it can be studied. And now one of the drawbacks when I first heard about it is it's in Russian. But very fortunately, one of uh, the managers at the store has for years been studying Russian. And I won't, I won't say that he's fluent, but he, he can speak Russian he can read Russian. That's rare so, for anybody to be able it, to do that. And, and he loves doing it. So when something he considers it a real challenge. So uh, basically I let him uh, negotiate in the, and he'd tell me little snippets and bits, which what I will do in, in, uh, in, in this in, uh, podcast. But the more that he read and the more that he talked to the family and the more they got into it and they emailed back and forth and sent some pictures, every, a lot of times when people do that, it starts off really interesting. And then as you learn a little more and you learn a little more, it still might be interesting, but it's sort of like, oh, if only, oh, well, if, if this had been in it or that had been in it or, yeah, I guess – this one, every time they send something more, it got more interesting. Hit the jackpot. Well, hit the, hit jackpot. the jackpot, and it was fun. So sort of putting it in perspective, in 1917 or even before that in Russia, if you were a Jewish family, it was difficult. Yeah, pogroms uh, and all Pogroms and anti-Semitism. Yeah. And, uh, and the really, even if you were relatively well off, the future for you and your children and grandchildren wasn't in Russia if you could get out. But that wasn't that simple a thing even at that time. So what this is, is the person who wrote us, this is his grandmother's diary. And she was about 16 at the time. And she basically describes their trip. Now, one part of this uh, to, to give you an idea, it's a little bit of Russian, but it's a, uh, English. A, a section of it is 
her practicing her English because the idea was to end up in the United States. Uh, you know, immigrants immigrating from Russia, immigrating to sure. the United States. Now, even nowadays, if you're well-off, well-educated, well-versed, it's easier than it would be at that time. That, at that point, it wasn't as much getting into the country because we were welcoming. Well, there's always been issues about immigration, yeah. but we needed more people in, uh, but especially if you were wealthy. So this describes she's 16 years old. They start out in Moscow. They get to St. Petersburg. From St. Petersburg, they take the Trans-Siberian Railway okay. across all of Russia in, you know, 1917. So it's not like bullet trains getting you across. It's not, it's not even as good as Excella getting you hmm. to New York. Uh, it's a long, long journey. And she doesn't go into huge detail, but talks about places where they stopped, uh, what they did, the length of the journey. Um, in, in getting there, and then they got to Vladivostok. So the next trip, the next stop was get out of Russia. So they went to Japan. Interesting course to take. Well, it, it, that got them out of Russia. Okay. And uh, and then she's describing, and then they took from where they they eventually got to Yokohama, and they stayed there for a while. And... Um, one of the things they did is they had pictures, and they actually have pictures of the family oh. in in Yokohama. Here they and, are. And, yeah. and when we first were talking to them, they sent us images of some of these uh, uh, pictures, and, and we said, are these the originals? You know, because mm. – or were they just called – here's a, uh, the women in the family – um, yeah, the Japanese, uh, they're having Japanese tea ceremony and exactly. uh, they're wearing it, traditional garb, it seems. So, but these are the original pictures that were taken at the time wow. uh, there. And, and another picture a little bit later of the family, the women in the family. So that's great. They stay in Yokohama for a while and then they eventually get passage and go to Hawaii. Well, you Makes think sense. you get it. Sure. Next, they go from Hawaii to San Francisco, and, and she's giving snippets and uh, things there. And then they take a train from San Francisco to Boston. So this is quite a—it's uh, almost a year-long trip. Now, I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, that in those days you had to have a sponsor. You had to have someone—if you were coming in from, say, Europe like that. Uh, you had to have some sort of sponsor. Some or, sort of family here that would uh, help or, out. Or you had to have money. Or, or money. Or money right. and okay. education. Yeah. So that also helped. But they also had a family that they were new— who came at just about the same time and they were very good friends with. Now, again, as I told you, this was a 16-year-old girl when they left in 1917. Three or four years before that, she went to a bar mitzvah. But whose bar mitzvah does she go to? Yasha Heifetz. The great violinist. The great violinist. <laughs> and, and they, his family, I'm not sure whether, I think it was just before this family left, made almost the exact same trip. And there was, which we don't have, but there was correspondence 
beforehand. But then when they got to the United States, there's signed photographs of Yasha Heifetz. Oh, look at that. uh, Over the years. And there's one of them in particular where he's welcoming them that they got there. Uh, So they stayed in contact. Uh, We have one that even signed uh, from Boston Symphony Hall. He did a concert uh, in uh, 19, this looks like 1920, uh, and to them. So they stayed in touch. So not only do you have sort of a, a, a diary of a Jewish, fairly well-off Jewish family moving out of Russia, getting away from this anti-Semitism, getting to the new world, getting to a place where they felt they could thrive, but you also have the music interest because they were friends. Now, she was 16. She didn't go into huge, huge detail, but it would be fascinating. One of the things we might even do in researching this is to find out if Heifetz had diaries or his family describing or maybe even correspondence back and forth. We just got these. We haven't delved into it in that depth. Now, the book itself, the diary, you said in a previous mention that when a diary is something like this that people have carried around and are writing in every day, this is where it really matters. Well, usually when someone calls me and they say they have a diary that was kept at the time, sometimes I get a call and they have these big, huge notebooks. And you go, wait a minute, there's something wrong with that because you don't carry that in your back pocket or you're in your luggage when you're either in military or in war or traveling. It's usually these smaller diaries, almost day books, where you are jotting down day to day. And especially if you're traveling like that, you know, through train, boat, train, uh, however they got around. So it, we'd love to see it when people actually start showing us pictures, the little, smaller <laughs> items. I, you bet. <laughs> You've seen this, I'm sure, but she's writing in, her, in practicing English. These are jokes, yeah. some of them. Little little puns and jokes and riddles and fun and, things. And, and, but she wanted to practice I her English that's because a, they're— That's they're, adorable. Yeah. Uh, but so, again, when you're looking at diaries, I think this— Personally, I think this is very important just because it gives sort of the perspective of a teenager leaving the Russia. It it gives perspective of being a Jew having to leave and their trip. It gives a sense of being in Japan at the time, which, you know, Japan had only been open about 60 or 70 years. And there was a big movement towards uh, the West taking on a lot of Japanese traditions and art, and there's just so much to it. And then to top it all off, you have the connection with Heifetz. So when you look at where this should belong, it, it should probably belong either in a major collection or a museum or a library where, uh, where these can all be appreciated for all the different aspects that they are. And that's one of the things that when we bought it, we were hoping to do. The cover of the book, the cover of the diary is in Cyrillic, right? Yeah. Yeah. And that's so, and it looks actually it looks like something you'd buy on a newsstand today. It's very, 
sharp looking, very yeah. modern looking. And, and again, from what I hear, although I can't read it, uh, the handwriting was good. Yeah, no, so, it's, it's it's very good. I was reading her English, some of her jokes. <laughs> yeah, some of the jokes. But she's a teenage girl, and from what we can tell in the family, she lived a very good life in the United States. Uh, it's just the family has split up and gone, as, as many, many families do, and they just didn't know quite what to do. They'd come into our store. They know that we deal with libraries and collectors, and they were more concerned about preserving this as a group mm. than they were. Now, one of the things we don't want to do is we've got about four signed pictures, you know, hand-signed by Heifetz. We don't want to sell one here, one there, right. one there. We well, that, that, that's a, I'm so glad you mentioned that because for those listening, and, and we have a lot of folks who listen who then get in touch with you because they have something, um, it's a good policy to know that you – I mean, I'm just saying this. I know you so well, but you care about these these products. These these are living history products, and they, they have a life of their own. And to the families, they mean a lot. Well, they even do. Even when they send them off. And in, in particularly since – Heifetz has mentioned historians, music yes. historians. Yeah. This diary probably gives a little bit of an idea to a music historian who's studying Heifetz of what a trip like that would have been. I mean, he was the same age. I mean, he was a prodigy at the time. He was known at the time. But even for him, getting out of the whole family out of Russia, I mean, he had already played in, in Germany and other areas. And I'll tell you, the Russians never forgave him for leaving. Uh, they considered it unpatriotic. They considered, but, you know, it, it, he felt, in his, well, not he, but his family felt they were better off. Right. Of he Russia. was only, he was, I, I was just looking him up. He was born in 1901, so yeah. he was just a kid, obviously, he, he was, as, as she was. Well, they went to the, but, they, they, the, they the went to the bar, bar mitzvah. mitzvah. <laughs> I wonder if he was forced to play violin for his uh, bar mitzvah, <laughs> um, entertain the, 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 the guests. Even, no. even at that time when he was 13, he, he was, was considered, considered a, one of the greatest violinists of his period right, at right. 13. So yeah. genius. who knows? That is a fabulous story. And what's really cool, uh, all being equal, is the fact that you've got somebody in your employ who studies Russian, just so happens to work out. Uh, just happens to do that. But what we would have done if it had been some other language. Yes. The Boston area has so many universities, so many learning things. We would call, like, if, if we didn't have someone who spoke Russian or read it, I would probably call one of the universities, the Slavic department, and say, is there a graduate student there yeah, who wants to, you know, put in a, a few days or get paid? And so the resource is there. I don't know that I would go take a Google picture of it and see what the translation no, was. No, no. But you, you could probably get a sense. <laughs> you could probably get a sense of it. You could step outside uh, Nine West Street and trip over the graduate students who were really <laughs> to do that. Ken, this was a fabulous trip, uh, and again, a, a trip about history, about family, and about struggle. And it's it's so beautifully preserved. And so. and, and also a successful struggle, obviously, yeah. on on both parts. That's what the Brattlecast is all about: stories that live on forever. Thank you for listening, and Ken, we'll see you next time. Yes, happy to do it in this never-ending stories. <laughs>